All right, welcome to the 8 o'clock hour. Time now for On the Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download the new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy as we welcome in Mark Spector on his way from the Windy City to Motown. How long is that flight spec for you? Uh, it's only about an hour and 15 or something like that. Not very long. Mm-hmm. And a day off for the team today, so you get to Detroit yeah. and whittle away at some comments you accrued last night? I guess, yeah. A guy who's on the road never loves when the team takes a day off. Mm-hmm. Because uh, my boss is like, oh, too bad for you. What are you writing? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to hear. Just because it's a day off for them, pal, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's a day off for me. <laughs> Which makes the post-game interviews all the more important for you. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you would have known last night they were taking a day <laughs> off, right? That's kind of the, you know, like for the people out there. It, sometimes we'll get a little heads up. Hey, no practice tomorrow. And they'll give us maybe an extra interview last night to carry us through the day. Mm-hmm. This one popped up out of nowhere. They were, I talked to Knobloch after the game. And after the interviews, I asked him, what time are you going tomorrow? He says, I think about 1 o'clock. <laughs> so he was planning on practicing. And then I think they had a little extra time on the tarmac. They got into Detroit a little bit late. and mm-hmm. I don't know. They didn't play very well last night. So all of that came together for a day off, didn't it? I guess so, and you never know how things work on the road where someone says, you know what, maybe we need a little time to do something, and, you know, we've seen it before. It always happens that way, but uh, just your thoughts on the game last night. I mean, I, I in my mind, Chicago, you know, they kind of forced and pushed the Oilers into a game that the Hawks wanted to play, and the Oilers just kind of let them do that. Yeah, Edmonton wasn't sharp. I mean, come on. Their previous low in the season for shots on goal was 23 in a game. Last night they had 15 against one of the lowest, you know, one of the lowest pedigree opponents mm-hmm. you're ever going to play. So that tells you right there. I mean, sometimes you, you get a bunch of shots and don't score. They didn't even get a bunch of shots. So that's where it starts. They didn't have much jump and they, you know, they weren't uh, an end. As I said before, when you got an opponent that's got like eight or nine guys who should be in the minors, mm-hmm. and every day they get in the NHL, and every day NHL pay, and every day of NHL experience could well be the last that they get this season. When you're playing that roster, those guys are playing their rear ends off, man. Like, you know, Chicago played as hard as they could and caught the orders on a bit of a sleepy night and give the oil credit. That's one of their. That's going to go down this season as one of their poorer performances. And they get two points and they got eight wins in a row. So that's not bad. And it's gone on the other foot, too. And we all know that spec. They've had 40 shots on goal, played better than the opponent, and lost this year. I mean, yeah. it happens. Right. This happens all the time during the, the course of the regular season. Yeah, she's a long year here, pal. There's 82 games. You don't get all, all of them. You're not perfect. You know, you don't get to watch the Leon Connor show every single night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it's just the way it is. You're right. It's a long year, and they probably got a couple of these coming after some of those games where they got 40-plus shots and didn't win. Mark Spector with us uh, on the way to Motown after a quick stint in the Windy City. Oilers are in Detroit tomorrow and then in Montreal on Saturday. The two disallowed goals, spec in my mind, they could go either way, and no one knows what the NHL's thinking anymore. You can say, well, this, you can say that, and if you're uh, looking at it from Oilers' perspective, they're probably goals. If you're looking at it from the opposition perspective, maybe they're not. But it's just the, the fact that that second one took so long. 
just dragged on, dragged on. What was the feeling like in the building? Well, I mean, the fans are bored. They're like yeah. cheering, like booing and saying, let's go. Uh, I thought that, you know, the hymen in the crease thing could be either way. They all could be either way. Uh, I thought that was coming back. I thought there was too much contact there. Uh, but whatever, who cares what I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put a dollar on make it on trying to guess what these decisions are going to mm-hmm. be. But I thought that, the, I mean, I think the bigger, you know, and everybody's seen Connor McDavid's comments to the, you know, asked him about after the game. I think the bigger thing here is, Kevin, you know, they seem to, they seem to search and search and search and search until they find the angle that eliminates the goal. You know, they, they, they want to, they want to know, you know, this rule came in because Matt Duchesne was four feet offside one time. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Matt. Wasn't it Matt yeah. Duchesne? I think it was Matt Duchesne when you played for Colorado. Mm-hmm. And now it's come down to spending four or five minutes to find out if a guy was a millisecond is offside, if the puck proceeded, you know, he proceeded the puck. Like, if you got to work that hard at eliminating offense from a, a 2-1 game, I think you got to take a step back and look in the mirror and say, your fans come to the rink to see some goals. And that was a tight, frankly, boring game. And now we're taking the good... We already took one goal out. Now we're taking another that it took us five minutes to figure out if it was in fact illegal, and I'm still not sure it was. So, yeah. I think I think the the war room's got to kind of wake up this morning and look himself in the mirror and say, "What's our purpose here?" Right. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first time. This has been going on for for years. It's been going. You, you see it, you know, once a week at least in the NHL across the league. So, uh, Mark Spector yeah. with us on Sports 1440. You know, uh, and so Zach Hyman was involved in both of these. And were you were you on your way downstairs or were you still up in the press box? He had the empty net to ice it. Yeah. And he, he goes, he's wide by a large margin. A defender had his stick in there, but he must be going, okay, because you saw his reaction after the second goal was disallowed. You saw him after the yeah. first one. He's going, he, he's looking up and he, he's that look on his face. And then he, he can't get it in the open net. He's going, it ain't my night, man. Well, I think, yeah, he hit a stick. I did see the empty netter. I thought it hit a stick. I don't know if it did. Yeah, I thought it did. Whatever, who cares? The point is he had an empty net and he didn't hit it. Uh, I also, I asked him after the game if the first goal was his. I didn't think that it was his, but a lot of people at home, I think think Louie and Jack on the air said they thought it was his. I didn't particularly think it was his, but what do I know? I'm looking at the same replays everyone else is. Mm. I asked him after the game, and he said he didn't think it was his. But sometimes guys just say that because they don't want to be the guy claiming the goal, right? Uh, you know, I'm not calling Zach a liar, but I am saying that he's happy to pass a goal that no one's getting onto somebody else. <laughs> so either way, you could say that he could have had a hat trick last night, and he didn't even have a single goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we did say that off the top. He could have had another hat trick second game in a row. So moving into Detroit here, and we're talking about this off the top of the show as well. You know, teams at the end of streaks, whether they're winning or losing, at the end of a winning streak, they might not be playing as well as they were halfway through. Uh, At the end of a losing streak, they're probably probably playing better than what they are, but they're still losing. Uh, Do you are you getting a feeling like that? We had Ottawa here. Now we now we have uh, what happened against Chicago. Are you getting that feeling or not? Yeah, I am. I am getting. I mean, I think it's fair to say that any winning streak of eight games has got to be coming to an end. We're talking about, you know, what's the team record in Edmonton? 
Uh, nine, um, nine. Twice. Yeah, I think it's, the team record nine. It's been one of the greatest teams in the history of its in its time. So I think we can all look at that and say it, it is the time's coming. I think the evidence is there of a team that's you know on fumes a little bit when it comes to breaks and winning. Uh, I'll say this: you know, last night was a night that Stu Skinner was the difference, mm-hmm. right? He was really he was kind of sneaky good for the first I'd say forty five minutes. Like I thought, he just made some saves that were harder than they looked. And you look at the replay and go, oh boy, that was a tough save. And then the last 10 minutes when the Chicago came on, he was really good, man. He made a bunch of stops in the last five minutes of that game that were excellent. Hmm. So he buys them a win. Now they're going to get Pickard uh, tomorrow night in Detroit. And you know nothing against Calvin Pickard, but I'd be surprised if he could carry the team in the same way that Skinner did last night. They better play they better pick their game up and play a hell of a lot better if they think they're going to win in Detroit. How about that? I, th- I think that can happen, too, tomorrow. Cal Pickard played, you know, the bulk of his, you know, not the bulk. He played several years in Detroit for either, you know, the Wings part-time and then in Grand Rapids. So this is a chance for him to play against an old uh, organization. Speck, do you think that the Oilers now, they're just four points back of L.A., but he's not something, happen. eh? How did that happen? But but not only that, they're eight points back of Vegas with three games in hand. This is very doable. Very doable now. If, I mean, all of these things that I told you, I think I probably said that there's no chance of catching any of those teams, so I was wrong. Uh, I never thought they'd, if they could get third place, I never thought they'd get second. Well, that's clearly in this, their scope. Yeah. And if I'd have told you at the start of the year that the one team that they probably weren't going to catch was going to be the Vancouver Canucks, you'd have told me I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like, this is why they play the games, right? You're, you know, look at, they're making a big, a huge charge. Like, who wins 16 out of 19 games? I mean, that's just, you know, they're they're playing better than 800 hockey here. It's unbelievable. And it also, I'm not saying this level of winning is sustainable, but they're not doing it on a bunch of Connor McDavid six-point nights and Leon scoring. Like, you know, Hyman's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Kane's barely helping offensively. Uh, you know, they're playing a strong defensive game. They're winning games where they're allowing one goal a game. Like, they're not doing this with mirrors. They're doing it because they're a really good team. The difference is they're finally playing like a really good team, Kev, as opposed to the first 15 games of the year. You know, they had a lot of players that looked disinterested last night. Evander Kane was one of them. I told you about a week ago, Spec, keep an eye on this guy because, you know, when you're not on the top six right now and Evander Kane isn't, he doesn't like that. And he could be, you know, you can't have that creep in. You can't have that creep in because the team's going well right now. And don't be surprised if, if you see something happen with Evander Kane being on the bottom six here. Well, when you say something happened, what do you mean by that? Well, what happened the last time? He, he didn't see some ice in the one period, and he went on and, and he went on in the intermission with Scott Oak and said he wasn't happy about things. Yeah, yeah, maybe you know, it's time to go interview Evander Kane. That's what you tell him. Um, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, tomorrow. Well, you won't be able to talk to him tomorrow, but maybe you can get him on Friday. But I also see if things I, – I wouldn't be surprised if, if things kind of – We'll see where things shake down in the next two games. Vander Kane could get plugged up in the top six, and you might see someone move down as well because I just see there's a bit of stagnation going on right now. Well, there is a little bit. That's fair. There is a little bit. So he's in a tough spot at left wing. I mean, you're certainly not moving Nuge off of McDavid's Mm -hmm. flank, right? That's for sure not happening. 
And McLeod has seen such a resurgence in his game playing with Drysaddle that, that if you break that line up, now you're, you know, what do you do? Do you put him on left wing in this third line? Do you put him back to center? You know, he's played his best, had his best work at left wing. Mm-hmm. So, listen, they hired Chris Knobloch to figure all this out. And right now, every button he pushes has been the right one. So this is a tough button here, right? This is a button that that a lot of coaches have tried to push with Evander Kane. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I want to say this, though. I mean, we're all, you know, we're all making our judgments on Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. On what we've seen in the past and, and all these things. And he's had a controversial career. I, I get it, man. Uh, I wonder if, you know, this is going to be an interesting test to this player, right? Yeah. Does the old Evander Kane come out? Do we see a guy that's worried about his role and not, you know, and puts himself ahead of the team, or has he maybe figured some stuff out here? I'm very interested to find that out. That's the that's the question, Spec. There's no denying that. I mean, he is such a critical part and can be such a critical part of this team yeah. and the success in the playoff. We saw it a couple of years ago, yeah. you know, against Calgary. I mean, he basically he he was he steamrolled, you know, uh, the Flames in that playoff series. So. Yeah, listen, and every player is different. Like coaches will tell you, you don't deal with every player the same way. And you're right, man. This is a guy that it's critical to keep him engaged. And maybe, you know, there's some guys you kick in the rear end and some guys you pat in the back. And I don't know where he fits into that. Mm-hmm. But that, there again, a good coach figures that out. And, and you know, I like Commander Kane as a player. Like, I think he's a really good player. He's physical. He can score. You know, he intimidates. You want this guy engaged. And now... You know, there's a new fire every day for an NHL coach, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> and the latest one, maybe simmering in the coals, will be Evander Kane, and Chris Knobloch's going to have to figure that out. Hey, Speck, uh, safe travels to Detroit. Are you, like, would you be on one of those planes like the Cleveland Indians had in Major League? Like the prop, <laughs> you know, not. with duct tape on the propellers and stuff like that? <laughs> Stop it, pal. I'm, I'm, just a guy, I'm just a guy trying to get up in the air and down safely, all right? Don't talk to me about duct tape. <laughs> Whoever uh, put the duct tape on that, that Alaska plane the other day didn't do a very good job. So, <laughs> Oh, you know, safe travels, buddy. We'll see you tomorrow. Everything good for tomorrow morning with the Eastern uh, time? Yeah, what time it'll be. It'll be 10 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, I'll be sitting at the rink waiting for your call. Sounds good. Thanks, Beck. All Take right, care, man. Up. That's Mark Spector on the mark. Energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. Tons of texts coming in. We'll get to those uh, when we come back. And also, we will hear from Oilers head coach Chris Knobloch on last night's victory. And maybe we'll address the Picasso thing again. Who knows? We'll see exactly how he used Picasso in his framing, in his phrasing last night. Uh, More on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 right after the break. Old Pam Tillis. Is that Pam Tillis, Duke? The one and only, Kevin. Oh, that's one of your favorites. Oh, I'm a bit big Pam Tillis fan. Why, why Pam Tillis? Like, I mean, there's so many. I mean, we got, you know, I know you like Reba McIntyre, but, you know, when we walk down the halls of CFCW here, oh. and, I mean, there's so many artists that have their, you know, Faith Hills on the wall. You know, there's there's tons of artists with their pictures and album covers, things like that. Mm-hmm. But you like Pam Tillis? Yeah, I, I I wish I had a better reason. I just I, I like her. There's a lot of um, great female artists that kind of fly under the radar from the '90s and '80s because obviously it's like it was the it was the golden age of country music for men and women in, mm-hmm. in the personal opinion. So uh, yeah, I feel she doesn't often get enough shine. Maybe compared to some other uh, legends of, a, of an era past, like um, you know Dolly, obviously a little bit older even, but Reba. Um, 
Jody Messina mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. You uh, know, when I go for a coffee every morning, and there, as we and said, you just check out the records. Well, well the, there's records and there's pictures, and yeah. you know they have a lot of memorabilia here in the in the Stingray Studios. Mm-hmm. I always think when I come back to the studio and I look, there's three, four pictures and things like that, and I go every time I look at the one, I go. Whatever happened to Chelly Wright? <laughs> Single white female. Yeah, so because that's it's right on the wall there when you walk in. Yeah, the we, the weirdest the weirdest spelling of the name Shelly you'll ever. Is it Shelly? Shelly Wright. Oh, yeah. I thought it was Chelly. So there yeah. you go. But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah odd spelling. But I, th- I don't I don't think I could name a single other song by her. <laughs> I don't even know any song. S- by single her. white single white female. That was I the big just, one. I know the movie Single White Female. Was, was it that, based was off that? Probably not. What a, co- think, what a coincidence. Well, it's an old movie. I think, I'm not sure if Jodie Foster was in it or not. Hmm. Hard to say. Uh, text coming in, one 401 Lee says, the war room is no different than player safety. Clueless. Uh, Robert, I agree with you guys about the video reviews. However, I don't believe it'll change, only get longer and worse due to the introduction of sports betting. And that difficult component now, uh, the pull to make sure you get the right call will be too much for the NHL, but it really does take away from offense. Sawdock says video review takes the human element out of the game. Technology is starting to ruin everything. Well, it has already ruined everything. Craig and Red Deer goes, and we were talking about Evander Kane. Keep an eye on Evander Kane here in the near future. Uh, Craig and Red Deer says, Evander Kane wasn't complaining to Scott Oak. Oak asked him a question. Kane answered, this has been beaten to death. Well, Craig, Evander Kane, I agree. He wasn't complaining to Scott Oak. He was complaining to Jay Woodcroft. It's that simple. That's how he got his message out there. And it's funny. He ended up playing a little bit more after that, did he not? Uh, John Gelly says, do you think Kane is nicked up? Possibly. He's had injuries. We know he's been battling a lot. And even to get through what he did last year with his wrist laceration, simply amazing to get back as fast as he did and to be able to, um, you know, maybe we haven't seen him fire off wrist shots like we have in the past. Maybe it is still bothering him in that regard, but uh, maybe he is a little bit nicked up to everyone, kind of is. Dewey. Hmm. Hey, Kev, sounds like you were a a little skeptical of Kane and his attitude and for every reason. What if the coach and him have chatted and Knobloch has given him his role and that's to help Brown with some consistency as well as keeping him fresh for the playoffs because... He can't play his intimidating game every game. Save him for when he's needed. Hey, I I would like nothing more to see Evander Kane ramp up his game to where we saw two years ago in the playoffs uh, when it, the Calgary series. Uh, he was like he was a train. He steamrolled so many Flames defensemen. He had his way on the forecheck. He scored big goals. Uh, if the Oilers can have that Evander Kane in the playoffs this year, that they they have a recipe uh, for success. Uh, all right, last night, 2-1, Oilers over the Hawks, and following the game, Oilers head coach Chris Knobloch had these post-game comments. You lived it on the bench, but what did you kind of make of the way the team fought through whatever they had to get through in order to get another win? 
Yeah, no, I think we were just just good enough to get the win, and, and it definitely wasn't our best game. It wasn't um, a Picasso by any means, but uh, you know, those sometimes you um, have to get those out. We've certainly we've lost games that uh, I felt like we should have won, and tonight, um, you know, I think Skins was outstanding. I think he really saved us and um, played really well, came with some big saves, and um, especially late in the game. Um, but we know we need to get better than that, so. We'll take our two points and move on. As you, uh, as everyone kind of waits for the reviews, particularly on the Leon Drysaddle call, do you feel like you have an idea of what the call will be or what you you think it should be, or what goes through the process as you um, wait it to happen? Well, it's it's tough. Uh, we at uh, coaches, we get about thirty seconds to decide if it's a good goal or not, and I'm not sure how long they they get to decide. Um, so we're at a little bit of a disadvantage, but. Um, you know, I'm not going to argue with the, the outcome of either one of those. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it was a tough one, but, um, you know, I'm sure they, they feel they got the right call. As a coach, when your team, you know, you only get 15 shots on goal, you have some adversity, a couple goals come back. The other team's a pesky group, they're pushing you. Does it, even though it maybe doesn't look so great, is this a good win in its own way? They're all good wins. Anytime you get two points, especially this time of year, it's an 82-game schedule. It's hard to get up and play beautifully all every game. You know, I'd be a little concerned if we hadn't been playing very well in um, the previous three or four games. Um, I don't think that's the case tonight. I don't think we played very well. But a lot of credit should be given to the uh, the Blackhawks. I thought they played really well. Didn't give us much room. Didn't make any mistakes. Make sure to get pucks in. They forechecked us hard. Um, they made it really difficult for us. And there's some things we could have did better to alleviate that. But um, it's not always just about us. I think the uh, Chicago played a really good game. That's Oilers head coach Chris Knobloch following last night's two win. 2-1 victory in Chicago. And yes, you heard him say, yeah, it wasn't a Picasso. And we touched on that off the top and uh, Dean sent in a, a good text and the Duke and I were just c- sort of conversing over that. So why can't it be, it wasn't a Michelangelo. It wasn't uh, a Jackson Pollock. It wasn't a Monet. Who else did you say? Da Vinci. It wasn't a Da Vinci. Bob Ross. <laughs> legend, legend of the game. It wasn't a Van Gogh. You know. A Van Gogh, yeah. But, I mean, there's... There's no shortage of, uh, you know... Like Picasso, so, he gets he gets it, and, and, and Knobloch isn't the only guy. Everyone says it. It wasn't well, a Picasso. Like the, it, is, it is the, yeah. like, it it's is the, the go-to it, that's, phrase. That's the expression. Because like, there are, like, uh, Monet is mm-hmm. sometimes used to describe pictures. Now, was Monet farsighted, or was he the one... I have no idea. That's from, <laughs> no, that's... Duke, that's from uh, Ocean's Eleven. Oh. <laughs> you got me on that one, Kev. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will say this: uh, art, not my not my strength. No. Uh, I don't get it. Like I, I can admi- like I can admit when somebody's like like in, like the Mona Lisa. Yeah, like he painted a, a woman. Like sure, but mm-hmm. like the the part about like where you like look into and like abstract art and stuff like that, like stuff like Picasso, where it's like like what like I don't get it. What makes it what makes it worth? So well, much you have money? to die first, of course. Mm-hmm. But I'll, the mother-in-law is a great artist. I should get her to like paint, a painter. A painter, yeah. I'll get her to paint a portrait of the Duke. Uh, no, get her. No, a just portrait of you out running the Laurier Heights neighborhood <laughs> with the tarp off. Tarp off, and we auction that. Auction wow. that. That would be. You'd be making a lot of money oh, for God. some charity. We, we'd we'd uh, we'd top uh, Gregor's month of giving <laughs> with one one sale. You know, 
I'll never. Struds keeps bringing that up because he saw me running down the streets of Laurier Heights with no shirt on, uh, with a shirt off the other day, or uh, yeah. not the other day, a long time ago. But anyway, but isn't that again Picasso? He gets all of the. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. He gets all the notoriety. I just want some coach to go. Yeah, it wasn't a, again. It wasn't a Jackson Pollock. And then everyone's gonna go. Who, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, that'll, you, that, that'll make everyone stop in their tracks. Yeah. I'm gonna have to talk. I, I'm gonna ask Chris Knobloch that next time it happens. Can you use a different? Yeah, artist? Yeah, ask him to throw in a throw something else in the mix. Just one. Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. I don't understand. Okay, Glenn says Kane wasn't messaging anyone with that comment. The media here has to have one player to chew on. Please pick on Brown, not Kane. Yeah, well, we've talked about Connor Brown for a long, long time. Have we not? Uh, still goalless. How about right off the top? He had a really a high slot deflection last night, and Peter Morazic made a fine save. And again, Brown was, I mean, he wasn't very visible last night. I mean, not many Oilers were. I don't even know if any of them were. But people saying, well, Kane is not happy because he's playing with Brown. Uh, Hammer says Brown is the new Boulanger triangle. Um, I don't know. So uh, what do we got coming up here, Duke? We got Kristen Shilton at 840 NHL on ESPN. I'm sure she'll have some comments regarding uh, the... Trade uh, two days ago, I guess now, with uh, Cutter Goche, Philadelphia Flyers, and the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, then coming up uh, at 9 o'clock will be our co-host uh, for uh, Sports 1440 for Cougar Payton Collision, uh, Dave Schlemko from 9 to 11. Stan Marple, Alberta Golden Bears, men's hockey general manager, will be with us at 9.20. And Steve Tasker, really looking forward to this conversation. Did you did you see the Steve Tasker, Marty Baron field goal challenge, Duke? It happened a while, but I don't no, know. I missed several this. weeks ago. So it was for charity, and the two of them went out and kicked field goals. I there's no way. I I think Steve Tasker threw it. He he didn't want to beat Marty Baron, and Marty. I think Marty Baron put one off the bottom bar to win it. Like what distance we're we talking? Like thirty five yards? About five. It looked oh. like <laughs> <laughs> two point conversion, but they decided yeah. to kick the field, the uh, extra yeah. point. It might have been maybe from the 15-yard line. Maybe it would have been a 25-yarder. Okay. Hard to say. Uh, we'll ask Steve about that. But uh, And then our uh, game of the day coming up uh, a bit later. Uh, when we come back, Kristen Shelton, NHL on ESPN, and our headliner of the day on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Well, we're really rocking it out for our next guest here, Duke. That's fired up music there. <laughs> love, love ELO. I had a I had a eight track for my yeah. seventy eight uh, Continental of Electric Light Orchestra. Wow. Well, uh, they were big time when I was uh, in junior high. That's some time ago. They were big time. Uh, time now for our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are totally pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrreuter.ca. We welcome in Kristen Shilton. Uh, back to the program. Kristen with NHL on ESPN. Good morning, Kristen. Do you, are you, do you like ELO? Do you remember ELO? 
say that uh, I can't say that I do, but yeah. uh, I, I like that track. That was that was a nice intro for me. I don't usually get a little rocker, so I appreciate that one more. Well, we can have it on every time you come on for for the show. I mean, it's exciting. <laughs> You know, how much play did the, well, we know how much play it got because we had several guests on with Cutter Gauthier and the trade a couple of days ago with Philadelphia and Anaheim. I guess the question is, were you surprised how much play it got in the United States and Canada for that matter? You know, I think that was such a surprising, shocking, unique situation to see unfold just really out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of the time with these prospects, I mean, you might get an inkling that a player doesn't want to sign somewhere. You might hear something uh, and try to pursue it. But this really felt like it just came out of nowhere that suddenly this, you know, this top five pick just didn't want to play uh, in Philadelphia. And they, you know, pull off this trade with Jamie Drysdale, who's also obviously a high pick and it was seemingly important to Anaheim's future. And you see sort of the way that it unfolded from the Flyers' perspective with them not really mincing words about why and being very forthcoming about, you know, if he doesn't want to play here, then we don't want him here. And if there's one fan base, I think, in the U.S. that would take that extremely personally, I'm sure there's a a lot of them, but most especially uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. If you've ever talked to a former Flyer going back and playing there, it's tough. Like they make it hard on you. They have, you know, long memories and they are a tough crowd at the best of times. And they're a very proud, proud uh, fan base as they should be with the great history they have there. But uh, it really, I'm not surprised the shockwaves it sent just because it's Philadelphia. It's the fact that, you know, Gauthier himself hasn't really commented so much on it and it doesn't sound like he's necessarily going to. And it really just uh, it just shows that you know a player basically saying I'm not I'm not going to come here, and it takes you know I think a, a certain type of player to be able to say that and and to get behind it, and we'll see how it works out for him in Anaheim. But uh, obviously Philadelphia wasn't messing around when it came to moving on. Is that the most intriguing dynamic here, Kristen, the fact that you know no one has ever really said I don't want to go and play in Philadelphia and. He hasn't said why? Yeah, I think there's there's just sort of the question of how could you be that sure? And I mean, we've certainly seen other players decide that they don't want to go to the team that drafted them. You remember Jimmy VC with Nashville, just as uh, one example. And, uh, you know, guys have, have turned down, you know, Arizona, places like that. They've decided to explore, um, you know, markets elsewhere. But this is, you know, this is a, a, a real hockey town. This is a place where you would think that, you know, guys who are really, uh, you know, who, who want to play in a place where they're going to be appreciated and there's going to be a rabid fan base. They're going to get a lot of opportunity, especially for Gautier. I mean, you look at the the Flyers are rebuilding. They want young players. Their young players are getting a shot. Cam York, Morgan Frost, those guys, it might not be flawless. Of course, they have their off nights, but they're getting a chance. And it really does seem to line up for a player like Gautier coming out of BC, uh, potentially even um, after this season. I mean, or even if the Flyers make the postseason, they're currently in the playoff picture. He might have even had a chance to get in this year. Like, it, it just seems odd that there was a real 
set up for him there and they wanted him and he didn't want them. So it it is it is curious and without him specifically coming out or his agent speaking on his behalf specifically uh, about mm-hmm. why, it just sort of leaves you wondering. And he will have to answer those questions eventually. You know, there's there, there's no doubt about that, that someone will extract some sort of response from him. But right now, it's, it's really the flyers that have been kind of dictating that narrative, and he's letting them do it. So I suppose there's a strategy there of some kind from his part, but maybe we haven't seen the full breadth of that just yet. Kristen Chilton, NHL on ESPN, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. We're basically at the halfway point of the NHL regular season, Kristen. So many intriguing, interesting stories, and two of them in Canada with the Winnipeg Jets and the Vancouver Canucks, uh, two of the top teams uh, on the table. Let's start in Winnipeg. I think 30 games now where they've allowed three goals or less. They shut out Columbus last night. 5 nothing, 58 points on the season. Just a remarkable story with what's happening in Winnipeg. What are your thoughts on how and why the Jets have been so successful this season? Well, absolutely. The Jets are a real wonderment to me. I, I think I saw the stat yesterday uh, since November 4th, and this doesn't even include the game last night. Uh, you know, they're averaging like two goals against per game. And you think that's incredible that's that's no small sample size like that is a a real uh, number to be able to hang your hat on and you just see the way that Winnipeg plays they are so committed top to bottom to defense and when you think about the first month of the season even those first couple of weeks where Shifley and Hellebuck had signed those huge deals and now suddenly Kevin Shoveldayoff is under the microscope like really you're investing so much in these two players and is that smart are you handcuffing the team are you putting you know this team in a bad place in the long term and really it's it's about trusting the process sometimes and there's a vision obviously for what the Jets could be and it's it's not necessarily going to be a 5 nothing win every night, although sometimes it is. It's a real commitment I just see from their forwards to their defensemen uh, and whether it's on the penalty kill, on the power play, they just are really good collectively. And that's what I think sets Winnipeg apart is there's no real stretches that I've seen at least where you really feel like they're losing control of their identity or that they're not playing to their strengths. And that is what has made Winnipeg successful in the past. Now, if you remember back to last year, they were top of the Western Conference at the end of January. Mm-hmm. And then they barely made the postseason because February and March just didn't play out the way that they wanted. Now, we're not saying that obviously is going to happen again, but it just shows that I do think Winnipeg has also learned from their past mistakes and that they're able to apply some of those lessons now to just not getting carried away with, Hey, we're having some success. We're going to, uh, you know, maybe lean out of what's working for us uh, and and find ourselves in trouble. No, we're going to stick with it and we're going to continue to see those results. So I just like the way that uh, it really feels like the Jets have banded together and they're a veteran group you think about Blake Wheeler, the way that he maybe has struggled in New York, and you think about him looking at the team that he captained for so long and wondering, hey, where was this? You know, for a lot of time that I was there, maybe feels like he's missing out a little bit. 
but I like the Jets a lot. I don't think this is any, you know, smoke and mirrors, flash in the pan thing. They look like the real deal. They could really challenge this spring. Kristen Shelton with us uh, on Sports 1440. Before we get to Vancouver, uh, Kristen, Chris Johnson just reporting a couple of minutes ago that the Leafs have recalled goaltender Ilya Samsonov from the American Hockey League, which I, I, unless there's something going on that I haven't seen this morning as far as with Martin Jones or whatever with the goaltending situation. But, I mean, he's had a tough goal, Samsonov, uh, this season. Uh, just a quick comment on what the Leafs are doing, not necessarily in goal, but... Uh, what you've seen from Toronto this year, again, with the, even the contract uh, situation, the signing with Nylander, and uh, where you see the Leafs going forward? Yeah, I'm not surprised that uh, they would have recalled Samsonov. I mean, the Leafs, they've had a busy schedule. They played Jones uh, all throughout their uh, recent Western Conference trip. That included a back-to-back. They played him last night. Big wins uh, over San Jose at home. Then they play on Long Island tomorrow and a back-to-back at home this weekend. So there's just there's a lot of hockey right now for the Leafs. And Dennis Hildeby, no disrespect to him, but he's not ready, I wouldn't think, to be stepping in, especially when you've got Calgary, uh, or sorry, not Calgary, Colorado and Detroit coming up uh, on that back-to-back this weekend. I don't know if you want to be sliding him in. So you you've got to have Samson off. I mean, he's just the the least have gotten by to this point. Very fortunately, uh, with Jones, they've played well. He's played well, but you can't expect that. Especially the Leafs are headed back out west as well. Uh, right after that back to back, they've they've got the Western swing through Canada through Western Canada. You can see them against uh, you know those those teams out there in the, in the latter half of this month. So not surprised Sam Snow's back. He's got to get his confidence going because the Leafs need him uh, to help Jones out here. But um, overall, I I would say that the Leafs have played better uh, of late and just more consistent. I, I thought that earlier in the season when they were blowing leads and they didn't seem to have that same swagger uh, throughout, especially on the defensive side, it felt like it took them a little time to – find uh, the groove there. I think TJ Brody maybe has struggled a little bit this year. They're a bit more of a veteran group. Uh, you know, Mark Giordano seems to be, you know, fighting father time quite well, though, because he still uh, has a lot less in the tank, clearly, uh, with how he's performing. But just overall, it, uh, it feels like there's more of a team commitment there. On the defensive side, and of course, uh, William Nylander resigning, takes a big narrative uh, away from this team that could have overshadowed their second half. Just getting that done, knowing he's going to be there, knowing that this core group is staying together, I think is a big thing for not just Nylander, but the whole team. Uh, They really do like each other. They like playing together. They believe in what uh, this stable can provide what the what these guys can do and if that pans out for them if that uh, you know ends up being something that can take them past the first round of the playoffs and really uh, you know I guess be what Kyle Dubas envisioned when he he kept them all together in the first place I I think that uh, you won't be uh, upset if you're a Leaf fan that you've got Nylander despite the expensive deal you're not going to be mad that uh, he's sticking around for eight more years. 
NHL on ESPN's Kristen Shilton, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, now to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, first time in franchise history, I believe, that the Canucks, after a victory last night in uh, New York against the Islanders, 5-2, that the Canucks sweep the three teams in the tri-state area, the Rangers, the Devils, and then the Islanders last night. This is a team that, you know, ever since Rick Tockett took over, this has been one of the very best teams in the NHL, and they show no signs of slowing down. What are you, what's your take on the Canucks and their situation moving forward? Yeah, you know, I've, I've always liked Rick Tockett. I think that he's, you know, it's, it's a cliche to say a player's coach, but I think he really is that. Uh, and I think in the sense that he, you can see coaches go into a, an organization and kind of say, this is what I want. And then there's coaches that go into an organization and say, okay, this is what I have. And they're able to make the most of it. And that's what I feel like Tockett's been able to do, is that he's taken Vancouver's best players and just been able to elevate them and put them in positions to succeed. I would not have thought that Quinn Hughes would be on the fast track to Norris Trophy this Mm -hmm. season. I didn't have that on my bingo card. I didn't think Elias Pettersson would be playing as well as he is just because there's been so many ups and downs, not that these are not talented players, not that they're not, uh, you know, poised to be carrying uh, their team for the next decade, but you just never know the kind of impact that uh, a coach can have. And you look around the league and you, you see coaching changes always seem to have an impact. And sometimes it's just finding the right lock for the right key. And that uh, there's so much credit that is owed to talk it. But I also just think, Look at the way Thatcher Demko has played this season. And we've seen him play well before, but he hasn't gotten support defensively. He hasn't gotten necessarily the goal support that he's getting. And the way that I feel like the Canucks are scoring with their depth, not just with their stars. And it's not about expecting one guy to be a 50-goal scorer and everybody else just kind of follows along. It's really, again, what makes the Jets successful is their collective defensive effort. And I feel like it's almost, there's yes, that in Vancouver as well, but the collective offensive effort and the way that they can beat you in so many ways. They've got good special teams. They obviously have a lot of confidence. And the way that Tockett has made the adjustments that Vancouver needed to kind of overcome some of their past issues it just has seemed to be a really uh, seamless fit there. And that's, we've criticized certainly on our end, you know, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford and what they were doing with the Bruce Boudreaux situation and how they handled Brock Besser and what went on with, you know, with Bull Horvat and, and everything else that's uh, played out in Vancouver the last couple of years. But again, what even what I said about you know the process of Kevin Shovel Day off, it's a process in Vancouver as well. And in both instances, you're seeing why those management teams wanted what they did. And when you see the whole picture come together and you're patient with it, you really, I, I think if you're Vancouver, you've got to be so pleased with the position that you're in through the first half. The, the key question uh, on both ends uh, for both of those teams is just can you sustain it and can you keep it up and especially can you make something of it when it matters most and that's when the calendar turns to April and those playoffs start and you get your opportunity to build off of all the good things that you've done and I really 
you know, it's <laughs> you don't want to get radioed in April for what you say in January, but I like the odds of uh, Vancouver uh, being a team that we talk about well into uh, May here. Oh, that would be something. Uh, some of the can- Canadian teams are, are, could make some noise in the playoffs. It could be a very interesting run. Hey, Kristen, thanks so much for your time uh, this morning. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. That's it. Kristen Shilton, NHL on ESPN. And our headliner of the day brought to you by Mr. Rooter. There's a reason they call him Mr. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrrooter.ca. Top of the hour, David Schlemko will join us in studio to talk about last night's Oilers victory in Chicago and then some other things. Uh, we've got a big game tonight coming up. Schlemko's going to be on the ice for as well. Uh, before that, uh, a Sports 1440 update brought to you by Tommy Guns, home of the ultimate grooming experience. Our hot towel shaves, awesome haircuts, and treatments were designed for you. Book now at TommyGuns.com. Here is the Duke.